Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. God's Word in this amazing gospel according to John. It's a first-hand experience, uh, recollection of Jesus's closest friend. And he has a different perspective of the greatness of who Jesus is. He captures it early. Because of that, he gets to write this gospel. He writes the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then he gets to see all of the future. He gets to write the book of the Revelation from the island called Patmos. And so to catch you up to where we are, we're in John chapter 6, and the first story is, is one of only two stories that are found in all four Gospels, and it's the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men, which represents their families, so uh, probably between fifteen and 20,000 people Jesus fed with the little boy's uh, leftovers from Captain D's, all right, five biscuits and two sardines, and he fed them all, and, and so now this amazing story has completed. And Jesus gives his uh, disciples some instructions. And he says, all right, fellas, he says, uh, this was amazing. It was a good day. Y'all, you fellas did good. All right. I want you to get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to dismiss the crowd, and I'll meet you on the other side. And so they've been obedient. They're following Jesus. They've, they've walked away from their, from their uh, profession, and they're doing what it is Jesus tells them to do. And so they're like, okay, Jesus, it's cool. You just fed 20,000 folks, and we got to participate. So, yeah, we'll get in the boat. And so they go down, and they get in the boat. Now, the Bible says in John that, that they just went and got in the boat. When you look at Matthew, you read Jesus made them. He commanded them to get in the boat and go to the other side. So they get in the boat. Now what happens to Jesus? We saw last week, Jesus dismisses the crowd, and then he goes up on the mountain to pray. Now this is a significant thing, first of all, because if Jesus needs to pray, <laughs> let me tell you something about your pastor. I need to be a praying pastor. And let me tell you something about you. You need to be a praying person. I don't know if I told you or not, March 29th, we're starting a brand new thing called Just Pray. And I want to personally invite you to be there. Now, some of y'all thought, did he forget he told us? No, I hadn't lost my mind all of it yet. I just am serious about having a church that comes together corporately to pray, and I want you to be a part of it. God moves when we pray. Often we miss out on great things of God because we fail to pray. So keep moving. So Jesus went alone to the mountain to pray, and his boys went down and got in a boat, and they started across the sea. Now, what they didn't know is they were walking from the greatest picnic in the history of humanity. And they were jumping in a boat only to ride and row into the middle of a torrential storm. A, a, like a squall. A, 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 amazing winds. Hurricane speed winds. Torrential downpour. Waves that were crashing against the boat. And one of the gospels says the boat was taking a beating. It was a hard spot. And some of those guys were seasoned fishermen, and yet on the Sea of Galilee, because it sits in a bowl way below sea level, surrounded by mountains, when wind would come down in the middle of that lake, which is only about seven miles by 13 miles in size, when it would come down in that bowl, it would whip it up. 
and create a, ter a terrible storm. Not only that, it's pitch black, dark. And so they can't see. They're just getting hammered by this storm. And that kind of lays the groundwork. Now, the point of that is this. Why would Jesus, one, include this, two, allow this? Because Jesus loves people so much that he died for people. Why? Because of all that God created, mankind is the pinnacle or the apex of all he created. It, it, there's nothing else he created that has the breath of God in them. And so since fallen in Genesis 3 and under the curse, we've all been broken and we've all had storms in our life. This story is to help you and you and you and you tell your neighbor he's talking to you. He wants you to know that sometimes life, with the turn of a page, with the counting of the clock of a day, we move from a picnic to a storm. All of us have storms. Maybe you've gone through one. Maybe you're in one. Maybe there's one in the chamber for you tomorrow. Storms are real. And they come in all varieties and flavors. They may be relationship. They, they may be financial. Uh, they may be spiritual. They may be physical with our health. We all have storms that come our way. And the title of the message last week, and this is part two, is that it's not always a picnic. And, and we need to celebrate in the picnic. We need to enjoy the picnic. And don't be worried about the next picnic in the moment of this picnic. We need to enjoy the picnic. But it's not always a picnic. And we shared last week that... If you turn on television, you can find a preacher who will say, if you get saved, give your life to Jesus, send your money to the church, you know, you'll be healthy all the time, you'll have a lot of money all the time, your children will act right all the time, they'll come out of the womb potty trained, um, you know, your relationship with your wife will be better, your middle schooler will be more obedient. That's a lie, kind of. It's true, but all that happens after you die, okay? It's all perfect after we die. Right now, we're still in a broken world. And so storms are real in our life. John 16, says, In this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have come to overcome the world. And so last week, the first point was Jesus chooses to allow the storms. <clears throat> you see, Jesus said, Boys, I want you to go to the other side. And then he went to the mountain to pray. He knew exactly where they were going. You remember in chapter 5, the scripture that, that should rock you, it says Jesus know, knew what he's going to do. Well, he still knows what he's going to do. And he knew what was going to happen in that moment. He chose to allow a storm. And if you're in a storm, he chooses to allow those. We talked about last week that there's two kinds of storms in our life that Jesus chooses. There is a perfecting storm and there is a correcting storm storm a perfecting storm is a storm that comes into the life of somebody who is in the will of God that's like the disciples they were doing what Jesus said to do he said feed these people they said okay and they did it now he says get in this boat go to the other side okay they got in the boat they're being obedient they're found in the center of the will of God and yet they're in this perfecting storm it's God's way of forming us and fashioning us and molding us and manipulating us to become who it is he wants us to be but there's another storm it's called a correcting storm 
A correcting storm is for those who are outside the will of God. These are the ones that are disobedient. They know what God wants them to do, and yet they do otherwise. And so God sends a correcting storm. This would be the case of like Jonah. God said, go to Nineveh. Uh -uh. Okay, I'm going to put you in a storm. And so when you're in a storm, your first question should be, oh, God, is this perfecting or correcting? Okay, what are you trying to do <clears throat> with me in this moment? I, I've got marks on my body to show what a correcting storm looks like. Okay, scar tissue. Okay, we, we understand that. And so Jesus chooses to allow a storm to accomplish a purpose. Now, number two we talked about. Jesus comes to us in the storm. In verse 19 of John chapter 6, it says, They caught sight of Jesus walking on the lake, approaching the boat, and they were frightened. In other gospels, it says they thought he was a ghost. Okay? So here's the deal. If you are a child of God, adopted into his kingdom through Jesus' sacrifice, you've been filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're a child of God. If you're a child of God, Jesus loves you, and he looks out for you. And when you're in a storm, either correcting or perfecting storm, if you will pray and look for Jesus, he will show up in your storm. He will come to your storm. Now, what's interesting about this, he doesn't calm the storm. He just comes into the storm. You see, often what we want, we want Jesus to calm the storm. We, we really don't want him in the storm. We want him to fix the storm. Jesus doesn't fix the storm and then come into the storm. Jesus comes right into the middle of your storm so you can feel his presence so he can lead you to the other side of the storm. Now, we talked about this as we, before we move forward, that faith that has not been truly tested is faith that cannot be truly tested trusted so these storms come into our life as tests to develop our faith that way as we move forward we can trust him more because of the test that he allowed us to go through and he may not move <clears throat> the storm out for you but he will move himself into the storm with you amen now let's get into the new part Point number three on the back of your worship guide. And I hope you take notes because I think it'll help you, okay? Because this is what the reason God gave Scripture and the reason <clears throat> people like me preach is because the preacher hears from God through the Word and he wants to share it with you. And this is what I heard from God through his Scripture and this is what I want you to learn. Number three, Jesus calms us in the storm. Jesus calms us in the storm. Uh, verse 20 and 21, it says this in John chapter 6. It says, but Jesus said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. Now, let's take a side view for a second. If you're ever in a storm, the number one thing you long for is peace. I mean, a storm comes and it just gnaws at you. If you have something in your life that's a storm, it'll wake you up in the middle of the night. You're sound asleep, and you wake up, and you realize, I know this night is not over. And here goes the gerbil on the wheel of your brain. And you can't turn it off. You can't jump off the wheel. You can't put brakes on the wheel. They're going. 
It's like the wheel of fortune, okay? And, and, and so now you just lay there and you lay there and you're, and you're thinking, I need to be asleep, okay? Or maybe you're at work and with every moment that's not preoccupied by an event or conversation, you go back to that gerbil wheel, man, and you can't get off. And it gnaws at you. And it may be a relationship. It may be a health situation. It may be a financial crisis. It may be an emotional situation. Whatever it is, you can't seem to get away from it. It's just there. And it haunts you. And what you want is peace in the storm. Lord, just take this away. Give me a break, please. Now, unfortunately, in our world, you know what we do? We medicate that. We go to the doctor and say, I can't sleep. I need you to give me something. And he'll give you whatever he gives you to put you to sleep. But the storm is still there. All you're doing is treating a symptom of the storm. Now, the Bible, it's crazy. It's God's word. It's true. And it has an interesting, um, some interesting help regarding of, of, of how we navigate a storm. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. And when you're in a storm, you, you don't want to be anxious anymore. You, you don't want to worry about it anymore. So you're like, I'll check that box. I'll do that. And then it says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. If you've been in a storm and you are a believer in God, you've done that. I prayed. I petitioned. I've been thankful for the outcome. It's, you're supposed to be thankful for the income. You're supposed to be thankful in the middle of the storm, okay? Because you know what he's doing. You trust him. But what we do, we, 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 pray, we pray, we petition, we're thankful. Okay, I do that, but now listen to what it says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here it is. Have you ever been in a storm and you earnestly prayed? And you earnestly petitioned. And you earnestly were thankful. Only to find out the peace didn't come. Yeah, I have. When I'm laying in, true story, when I'm laying in my underwear in the front yard in winter, praying for God to take me home because I had a disc in my back explode and fragments were laying on my sciatic nerve band and Dilaudid, which is a heavy hitter drug, wouldn't knock the pain out. Yeah. I'm praying, I'm petitioning, I'm thankful that God's bigger than my pain, and I'm still laying in the yard in my underwear, okay? And you, where's the peace? It just said right here, if I do that, the peace, the past is all understanding supposed to be here, okay? I want to read another verse. It says, the, <coughs> Romans 8, 6 says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Here's what we do often. We try to fight spiritual warfare in the flesh. We try to put up the dukes against a spiritual warfare, and you're just whipping at the wind. You can't fight a spiritual fight in the flesh. Spiritual battles can only be won in the spirit. And so you, we have to train ourselves to pray, to petition, to be thankful. Watch this, in the spirit. And when we do that, the peace that passes all understanding comes on the inside. And it means even if we're still hurting on the outside, we have a peace that passes understanding on the inside. Now listen, some of you have, know what I just said is true. 
because you've been in a storm where you had to fight it spiritually. And you found that go-to place, my happy place, where, where in the middle of that, you had a peace, even though the whole world was shaking around you. That's what it looks like. Now, I put these notes down. I'm going to read them. You ought to write them, etch them in the back of your brain. Okay? Peace is not the subtraction of the problems of life. Peace is the addition of the power to meet those problems. Amen, Brother Joel. Thought it, that's good. I thought I'd even myself. All right? It's the truth. Peace is not the subtraction of the problem. Peace is the addition of the power over the problem. Now, what is that power? And where do we get that power? The power is found in the promises of God. And we get them from His Word. It's why we need to be students of His Word, man. Just dissecting and digesting and, and chewing like cud on God's Word. And when it comes to a promise, just recite those, meditate on those. And listen, and when you need God to move, you can quote a promise back to God. He is okay for you to say, God, you know, you said over here in 1 Corinthians, blah, 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 and you quote the promise. Because here's what he'll do. He'll honor the promise. If you don't know what he promises, what he promised, you can't claim the promise. You can't enjoy the promise. You can't walk in the promise. And he's not obligated to provide a promise that you don't even know or believe exists. So we've got to learn to let the promises of God be the power over our problems. Now, now here's what happens. Jesus, when he, comes, when, he, when he comes into our storm, he calms us. Now listen to what he says. This is so cool. He said, hey, boys, he's walking across the water. That's kind of cool. Okay, you can't do that. He's walking across in the storm, in the dark. And he says, hey, 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 you don't have to be afraid. It's me. Okay, it, it's me. You don't have to be afraid. He is claiming divinity. He's saying, I am that I am. I am the power over your storm. I am the answer to the question that, quite honestly, I haven't even heard you ask. I, I am that I am everything you need. And he says this, don't be afraid. Uh, tell your neighbor, don't be afraid. Let's go King James. Tell your neighbor, fear not. Okay. Now, here's the thing. In the Bible, there's 365 occurrences of don't be afraid, fear not, or some uh, derivative of that phrase. 365. You know what's interesting about the number 365? I'm dealing with gen geniuses. You're already there. That's one for every day of the year. Jesus knows, God knows, that you're going to have storms. He, he chooses to allow them. He knows what they look like. He knows what they smell like. He knows what they feel like. He's walked in the storm. And he says, you don't have to be afraid today. I got one for Sunday. You, you don't have to be afraid for March 2nd. I've got one for the 2nd. You don't have to be afraid for January 31st. I got one for that day too. So no matter where you are, no matter what that storm feels like, deep within your soul, you can fear not. You need to say that to yourself. You need to quote that truth. You need to tell others. And when, others, when other people tell you 
hey, I've, I've been in those shoes. You don't have to be afraid. You need to listen to that because it is true. So here's why this is important. We're, we're called to walk by faith, right? Faith and fear do not, will not run on parallel tracks. Fear and faith run in opposite directions. When you embrace fear, faith goes out the window. When you embrace faith, fear goes out the window. And so we have to learn to engage our faith and not our fear. Fear clouds and obstructs our vision of the path that we should be on. Faith shines a light like a beacon on the path that we should follow. Fear focuses on the enemy in the storm. Faith focuses on the deliverer in the storm. It's, it's, and we have to be people of faith. Tell your neighbor, you need to have more faith. I'll tell mine, that's my wife. Kendra, you need to have more faith. Because nobody was there to tell you. Okay? We need to be people of faith. What does that look like? It's like this. 17 years ago, Kendra and I were uh, going through life, had little girls, and and uh, everything was fine, wonderful life. God was so good. He's, he's always been good to us. And she had a little health trouble, physical trouble. And at the recommendation of a friend, she went to the doctor to have a test done. And the test was, test was the wonderful colonoscopy. Okay? If you're over 50, you should have had one. Thought I'd throw that in. And it's a wonderful thing. Okay? And I'm, gl- I'm glad I'm a preacher instead of the person that does that for a living. They make more money than I do, I'll take what I get. Kendra had a colonoscopy. The doctor called us in. He said, we need to talk. We went in. The doctor, we're sitting here, and the doctor's across his desk. He looked at Kendra, and he said, I've looked at your scope, and uh, you have colon cancer. And Kendra said, oh, okay. And he goes, I don't think you understood. You have colon cancer, and colon cancer is a dangerous cancer, and we need to respond to this quickly. And Kendra said, okay. And I'm like, go, girl. And then he said, uh, you don't, you're not responding like most people respond. Career Christian over here steps up on, but she goes, well, I believe God is in control, and I believe he's got this too, and whatever the outcome is, we're just going to trust God. I'm like, yeah, I'm with her. I'm a spiritual giant right there. Okay. So smoke the doctor, okay? In the middle of a storm, that's a storm. If somebody tells you you have the C word, okay, it's going to st- it's a storm. Doesn't matter what flavor it's in, it's a storm. And in the middle of that storm, that announcement storm, God gave her a supernatural peace, didn't he? And and he gave me one cuz I was hurt. And and so we walked around a corner and I'm like, killed it in there. We go around the corner, and I'm holding her hand. I'm like, man, it's so cool. She goes, what happened to the other one? What did we leave her at, you know? I got cancer. I said, I know. That's why he just told us. I thought you said God was in control. He is. Okay. Now, that was 17 years ago. She's cancer-free, and, and praise the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> I tell you that story to say, 
when you're in a storm, don't pray for the storm to go away. Pray that Jesus will show up in your storm. Because he's not just going to make the storm go away without teaching you something. You just look for Jesus. Even if you think he's a ghost. It's okay for them. It's okay for you. He'll show up in your storm. He won't calm the storm and then show up. If you ask him to calm the storm, he might calm the storm. But you'll miss an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. In, our, in that storm, he just showed up in the storm. And he took care of it. And that's our goal. So Jesus calms us in the storm. Number four, Jesus challenges us in the storms. Now, I told you this, this narrative shows up in all four uh, Gospels. So we're going to look over to Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, to look at a little bit more of the details in this story. So in this terrible storm, they're in the boat. The disciples are there. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Peter now, Jesus is showing up. They're afraid. They think he's a ghost. And Peter show, says this, Lord if it is you, order me to come to you on the water. Verse 29. So Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water. He came toward Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid. And starting to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, saying to him, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they went up into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. In the middle of a storm, if you will look and listen, Jesus is inviting you into an encounter that will rock your world and change your destiny. He, he's inviting Peter. Peter looks and boat's rocking. Peter's a fisherman, and he's afraid. He says, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come out there, okay? Jesus said, well, come on. That's what he says to you. In the middle of a storm, Jesus says, come on out to where I'm at. Now, here's the problem. A lot of times, Peter gets some, some negative publicity. They say, oh, yeah, Peter, man, he took one step, and then he started to sink. And you can imagine the boys in the boat. Way to go, Peter. What are you doing? They're all still in the boat. Come on now. At least Peter was willing to get out of the boat. So I, I think about this. If I was in the boat and Jesus said, yeah, come on out of the boat. Because that's where we are. We all live in a boat. Tell your neighbor, you're still in the boat. I know you didn't want to hear that, but that's what church is for. Okay? Most of us still in the boat. And, it, and when we feel the Holy Spirit invite us to step out of the boat, this is what we do. We hang on the side of the boat. Uh, yeah, I'm coming, Jesus. Be there with you in a minute. Meanwhile, Jesus had to go on to another boat, okay? Invite somebody else. That's, that's not what it looks like. When Jesus, when Jesus says, hey, get out of your security boat, get out of that comfort zone, come on in the deep water. Okay, I'm in. That's what it looks like. I did that early service. I don't think I've ever done it in my life. I know it looks silly. I don't care. This is what being obedient to an invitation out of the boat looks like. Whoa. I'm standing. I'm standing. Okay? That's what it feels like. And when we do that, Jesus is right there. Now watch, watch, watch. Sometimes we talk about and give negative publicity to those who have stepped out of the boat and then fall. You know we do that. I'll give you a good one. Kanye. Right? Everybody blisters Kanye. I don't think he's a real Christian. 
He's playing that hip-hop Jesus stuff. I'll wait and see. He's already out of the boat more than you. His whole, he put his whole billion-dollar career on the line to lead worship. Is he going to mess up? Sure he will. He's still human. You still mess up. Stop throwing rocks at Kanye. <laughs> Never thought I would say that from a pulpit in my whole life. <laughs> Didn't even tell the early service. It's okay to fail sometimes when we're pursuing big obedience to Jesus. So it was okay. Peter at least got out of the boat. And Jesus said, oh, Peter. Sometimes, oh, you of little faith. That's how we read it sometimes, like he's blistering him. Oh, you of little faith. You know, I don't believe that at all. I believe he stuck his big old hand down there. Jesus said, man, you of little faith. We had this. You know why he sunk? He didn't doubt Jesus. He's, the Bible says, but when he saw, he stopped walking by faith and started walking by sight. And when you walk by sight, you will fall and sink and miss the mark. But when you're walking by faith, shoo, yeah. You walk and you're on solid ground no matter what the storm looks like. So he took his eyes off the power over the storm. And he put his eyes on the storm. So Jesus wants to invite us to a new place in our faith journey. And he wants to do it with you. I, I want to point out what it looks like to fail. You know, it's okay. To, tell your neighbor it's okay to mess up. Some of y'all just got set free right there. Okay. It's okay to mess up. Especially if you're trying great things. Some people, yeah, I don't mess up. If you, if you never mess up, it's because you're not trying anything significant. Okay? I remember years ago, I had roller skated my whole childhood. Never been on a pair of ice skates. Ice skates were created by Satan. We went ice skating with a Sunday a life group class. And, and it just came naturally for me. Okay? I mean, I'm, I'm whipping it. I'm, I, but we're there 30 minutes, and I'm blistering around that place, spinning around in circles. I ain't making up. Okay? I, sound effects. You get sound effects at this church. I'm spraying ice. I'm telling you. And, and Kendra, she was like, you did that good. You know, Kendra's on the rail. You know. So the next time we went, I, I've told everybody, oh, man, it's the coolest thing in the world. I've never been. Don't worry. You've never been. Don't worry, man. It's a piece of cake. We're going in, and they're bringing a guy out on a stretcher, and his whole chin's busted open. Idiot pastor says, how do you bust your chin? Were your hands in your pockets? Were you doing this? You know, how do you do this? Hands, where's the hands? She's laughing. She knows this. You don't shut up. Don't you laugh at your husband. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I'm skating around through there, spinning around in circles. I hit a rut in the ice and went airborne. And gra the gravitational pull and centrifugal force and whatever else, the law of nature, keeps your hands back. <laughs> and I landed right on my chest. I got a bone right here still moves around. The rest of the night, I'm like a five-year-old. I've got my chin in a cup of ice. But listen, I say that to make a point. If you try anything out of the boat, anything out of the ordinary, anything out of your comfort zone, 
sometimes you will fall and you will fail. Now listen, it's okay. It's okay. I want you to know it's okay. If you're trying something big, it's okay to fail every now and then. Here's some examples. Einstein failed miserably in math until he developed the theory of relativity. That was a game changer. Isaac Newton had to get hit in the head with an apple, okay, before he got his message. Michael Jordan, I don't know if you know this, he did not make the high school basketball team. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Because he was pretty good. Steve Jobs got fired from Apple Computer. President Abraham Lincoln failed multiple businesses, lost in a race for legislature, lost in a race for Congress, lost in a race for Congress again, lost in a race for Senate, lost as a vice presidential candidate, decided to go back to the Senate, lost that again, and in 1860, he was elected president. And one of the greatest, arguably the greatest presidents the nation's ever had. It's okay to mess up, to fall and to fail when you're pursuing something great that God has put in your heart. Now, sometimes those challenges are scary. When God invites you out of your comfort zone, out of the boat, the security boat, it can be uncomfortable. i tell you what it looks like. About 10 years ago, I was at Second Baptist Church, and I would preach to 200 or 250 students every Wednesday night. I would preach on occasion to 1,000 people at that church. And 11 o'clock on Easter Eve, about 10 years ago, 11 o'clock at night, Saturday before Super Bowl Sunday for the Christian. I get a phone call, and it's Brother Mike, the pastor's wife. Hey, Joel, we've had to take Mike to the hospital. He has pancreatitis. He's very, very sick. He can't preach tomorrow, and he said that he would like for you to take care of Easter. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. I hung up the phone. Now, it's like as soon as I hung up the phone, you know what happened? Diarrhea set in. That's what happened. Okay. Nauseous, nauseous, nauseous. Didn't sleep all night. Wrote a message and was scared to death. Now, you can hide diarrhea. You put a nice enough suit. They don't know you're sick at your stomach. Okay, comb your hair good, shave. They don't know from a distance. I was sitting in that church on Easter. And I was like, oh, it's Easter, man. You know, you want the whole world to get saved on Easter. And so it's a burden, and here's the point. Just like it is every Sunday morning. I push past the diarrhea. You'll be glad to know that. Okay? But every Sunday morning, I'm, 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 I'm excited with a nervous energy about preaching. Because I love his word. And I love to preach. And, and I love helping people kind of move in their journey. I just love it. It's the highlight one of them of my life. And, and the worship here, I love the worship. And it prepares me well. And I'm still a little nervous. And there's something that happens when I take the first step over here at this stage. That first step into the place where he wants me to be is calming. I could sit over there and not get up here. I could, after the worship's over, they're looking, I could stand up and say, I'm not preaching today. I'm sick. Okay? There's something about that step. And then I get up here and I get to preach. And, and I want to tell you this. For many of us, for many of you, if you'll take that first step into that new journey, out of your comfort zone, he's waiting, he's calling, and if you slip and fall, he's got you.
Because he comes to your storm and he calms your storm. He had a great line, one of the greatest lines in the Bible. He says, save me and Jesus will save you. Point number five, and we're finished. Jesus changes our perspective of the storm. The second part of verse 21, I'll just read the whole verse. It says, then they wanted to take him into the boat. <laughs> yeah, sure they did. He's walking on water and he's God. Immediately the boat came to the land where they had been heading. There's some powerful truth in this verse. Immediately they came to land where they had been heading. I want you to know that when Jesus allows your storm and he watches your response to the storm and Jesus comes to you in the storm and if you let him, he'll come and calm you in the storm. And in the middle of the storm, he'll challenge you with something fresh and, and new. But the goal of the storm is not to leave you in the storm. You see, Jesus didn't say, fellas, you go down and get in the boat and I'll meet you in the middle of the lake. He didn't say, fellas, go jump in the lake. He didn't say, fellas, go die in the lake. <clears throat> he said, fellas, go down, get in a boat, go to the other side. He has a destination already fixed for you if you will allow him to take you there. He doesn't want you to stay in the storm. He wants to get in the boat with you and navigate you to the other side of the storm so you can look back and say, huh, so that's what that storm was all about. We've had storms in our life. I, I've, had, I've had some serious surgeries and I've got an artificial hip and I've had back surgeries and hernia surgeries and ACL replacements and I didn't know. I hated him. I hated every one of them. Wouldn't wish them on anybody. And you've had storms too. I didn't know at that time, for the most part, that I would be doing what I do today as pastor. But I can tell you this. When one of you calls me or I get a message, somebody's lost a loved one. Somebody's just been diagnosed with a serious sickness. Somebody's got a, a, a relationship in crisis. I feel it. I, I feel it. The pain. Had I never experienced any of that, I wouldn't be able to empathize. I wouldn't take prayer seriously for you if I had never taken prayer seriously for me. And, and so, so what do we do with this? And, and with this, I close. Sometimes we say, well, I think my storm is a little unjust. No, it's not. God's not unjust. I, I, I think my storm is a little too great for me to walk in. No, his grace is sufficient. I think somebody else needs a, bit, a harder storm than they're getting. You leave that to God. When you're in the storm, you have to be reminded of this. The reason you're in a storm, it may be to correct you. It may be to perfect you. But we're all in storms. Every single one of us will have a storm. Okay? Why? Because in Genesis 3, there were no storms in Genesis 1 and 2. But in Genesis 3, the enemy steps in and he introduced disobedience to God. And Adam and Eve stepped 
into that disobedience. And ever since then, you and I and every person who came before us and every person who comes after us is walking in a storm-tossed, broken world. Storm-tossed. You do and I do. Now, don't get me wrong. When I was a 10-year-old boy and Jesus came into my life to save me, he took the storm out of my soul. He redeemed my soul. It's perfect. When God sees my soul, he sees it smathered and, and buried in Jesus and his amazing gift of grace. But that soul of me is carried around in this physical, unredeemed body, walking around in, a, in an unredeemed world. And it'll continue to be until Jesus returns or takes me home. And when I go home, one day I get a redeemed body to go with my redeemed soul. And then I'll get to walk around on a redeemed earth for a thousand years with King Jesus. The game isn't over yet. The story's not fully written. And we find ourselves in this moment where we just kind of stay in the boat and miss what God has for us. And I want you to know today, God doesn't want you to get caught in the middle of the storm. He's called you to somewhere else. And if you let him, he'll meet you and take you there. And I want to tell you something about the storm. Everybody listening? The view of the storm is a whole lot better on the other side. Amen. When you're in the middle of it, it's not a good view. But when you get to the other side of the storm, yes. Thank you, Jesus. You did it again. That's what he's trying to do with us. With you as an individual, as a follower of Jesus, with us as a, as a church. I, I don't care to tell you. Launching into the unknown, building a new building. I mean, that's a $4.5 million project at three and three quarters percent for 25 years locked in for seven years take about a year to do it it's big for you and me it's not big for God and, and and we look at the numbers that of how many people give and we have about 200 givers in the church units giving units and and man praise the Lord some of you all really get it and you dive in deep trust in God and about uh, over half of us not in the game with that yet and that's fine the Lord's got all he needs but he wants to invite you even into that to step out of the boat and trust him just trust him I don't know what boat you're in I don't know what your comfort what your blankie is for today that you hold on to Okay, but Jesus is saying let that go I'm supposed to be your comfort zone I'm supposed to be the place that you rely on Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your story, for your amazing book, your, your scripture. And God, they're amazing stories to help us. But God, in this moment, there may be somebody here today who struggles with, their, with the security of their salvation. They may wonder from time to time, God, if, if, if this life was over today, if my life ended today, would would I spend eternity in heaven or not? God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will whisper deep in their soul and 
give them clarity about whether they have really received your grace, your good news, or not. God, I pray that on this day that if they're not saved, if they're not born again, sealed with the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that they will know it with certainty and they'll be feel the invitation that you have for them to get out of the boat of lostness and, and into the boat of into the sea of life. And, and so, God, I pray that, that you would give clarity and that they would be willing to simply say, God, that's me, and I believe you're inviting me. And so just like Peter. I step out of the boat and I'm walking towards you, God, in faith. God, I pray that, that they would know, that they would receive the grace gift and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're saved on this day. And God, for others in here, maybe they're saved and they just have been riding around the sea in the boat of comfort. And you're inviting them to a new step in this journey. The first step changes the second. Help us be people who are willing to step out of the boat into the unknown because we know the one who knows the unknown. We thank you for everything in